morning. We talked a little bit about the, uh, uh, the importance of knowing the why. That if you understand the why, the how and the what and all of the other things fall into place. Um, but I'm a person that tends to struggle a little bit with um, the how. Um, if you were to tell me something that I believe is good and true and right, something that I should do, the place I'm going to get hung up in is, is the how. How do I actually do this and make it happen? If you told me that I needed to uh, binge watch one of the greatest love stories of all time between Andy Dwyer and April Ludgate, um, I might believe you. I might believe you, but ask, how do you actually watch seven seasons of Parks and Rec like in a week? Because some of you do things like this. Um, if you told me that I needed a budget, like for my personal finances, um, which I have a budget, kind of. Uh, but if you told me that, uh, I might believe you, but my question is going to be the how. I need the, the practical, like how do you do it? And knowing that about my personality, um, it, it's kind of antithetical to what I'm about to tell you. I've always loved the fact that when Jesus calls us to be his disciple, um, he doesn't tell us exactly how to do it. He simply says, follow me. And he leaves this beautiful degree of, of latitude and openness to figure out, led by the Holy Spirit, what that actually means. Um, but we looked on Monday at this invitation um, of Jesus to come, uh, to take his yoke upon us and to enter into his rest. And that yoke is the yoke of a gentle, humble-hearted king. But the question that I was asked after chapel by someone was, what does it actually mean to be a disciple? Like, how do you do that? And there was the question, the how. Like, let's get practical. How do I actually do it? And Paul has some ideas about that. Um, in Colossians chapter 1, Paul gives us some insight into how he prays for a church that is struggling with that exact question. How do we live as disciples of the risen Christ? Um, anytime we look at Paul and his letters, the thing that he, things that he writes, we want to remember who Paul is. Paul, the great Pharisee, the one who was uh, schooled under Gamaliel, the one who uh, had more zeal than any of the other Pharisees, um, and the one who met the risen Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, who had his heart and his life transformed. The Spirit indwelt him, and he was given the ability to see with a clarity that very few have in all of history. And he writes to this church at uh, Colossae, and it's a church that he's never met in a city that he's never been. But it's a church that was planted uh, as a result of his missionary efforts in Ephesus. So he's writing to people he doesn't know, in a city that he doesn't know, from a prison in Rome that he's not sure he will ever leave. And he writes them and tells them what he's been praying for them. So here is what he says to them. He says... Since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we pray in order that you may live a worthy life of the Lord and may please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of light. 
for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That's what he writes to the Colossians. Um, and I realize that when we read something like that, when I read something like that, it sounds like a massive run-on sentence that's almost nearly impossible to actually figure out what's at the heart of it. Um, but two thoughts. First is if you're ever struggling with a section like that of scripture, I think I've come to the conclusion that Paul speaks and writes a little bit like John Holberg. So when you're reading Paul's letters, imagine John Holberg like narrating them, like drop the pauses in there and stuff. I, I think they might actually be on the same like spiritual wavelength. Um, if, I, if I could enter, like if I could do John Holbrook really well, I would do it for you, but uh, I can't. Um, but, but while it seems like this massive ball of stuff that's all interconnected and there are no periods, just lots of commas and semicolons, um, if we take some time, we can kind of pull this apart and I think see the beauty of what Paul is, Paul is saying. Because Paul is saying this, here's what I pray for you so that you might live as disciples. Here is my prayer to the risen Christ that you might live as his children. And here's where he starts. He says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will. And I know that when we talk about the will of God, um, we oftentimes make it a very um, uh, personal um, thing. We turn it into God's plan for my life, my vocation, the past that he's laid for me personally. But Paul uses it differently here. Paul is saying that he prays that they will his will, meaning God's plans and purposes for man, for creation, for salvation and life in this world and in the world to come. He's essentially saying this. Paul is praying that the Christians will understand God's desires and actions, the past, the present, and the future of the gospel. The will that Paul is talking about, it's not about what people are supposed to do, but it's an understanding of what God has done and what God will do. In essence, it's really an understanding of God himself. And it's something that you can't understand apart from the wisdom and understanding that the Holy Spirit gives you. The knowledge of these things is inherently spiritual. It's something that has to be revealed and given texture by the Holy Spirit that lives and indwells us. When I began following Jesus um, as a sophomore in college, um, two, two issues and where I stood on them. Um, I, was, I was pretty strongly pro-choice. I had an entire uh, uh, litany of reasons that I could give you as to why um, you should be pro-choice and why it was right for a woman to have the right to choose exactly what to do with her body. Um, I'd also been a vegetarian for five years. I believed that killing animals uh, for food was both selfish and cruel. When Jesus came into my life and transformed my heart and called me uh, his own, um, I was totally changed with regard to abortion. I never had a conversation about it. I never had someone say, oh wait, here's how you need to view it now. I just knew. It, it happened immediately. And I couldn't believe that I ever felt differently before. That's the Holy Spirit 
revealing to us the heart and the will of God. But the other one, the vegetarianism, I had to learn about it. Um, I began to read. Um, I read scripture. I learned about the created order. I learned about gratitude for God's provision. I learned about his love for creation. But I had to learn. We have to learn. So in order to know God's plans and his desires, to even know his, will, his decrees, the things that he thought and desired from the very beginning and before time, what do we do? As Paul's, Paul's saying, I pray that God will reveal these two things to you. How does it happen? And here's how it happens. We have to learn his word. We have to learn the word that he has given us as the revelation of himself. We have to participate, participate in the ordinary means of grace. We have to hear the word read and sit under the preaching of the word and the sacraments. We have to worship with church body. We have to spend time with God in prayer. And I know how that can sound. That can sound like everything you've ever heard. You have to have your quiet time. You have to do this. But what I want to ask you to do is pray that the Spirit will help you to disentangle, to pull the truth of the gospel from the things that our Christian culture pours in in different ways. I, I want to give you a word of encouragement. I think it's very possible and, and very true that the freedom that we have to worship in the way that we desire has created in, in some ways a bit of a monster. Christianity is a money-making business. I worked for a, a Christian bookstore through seminary, and we sold things that, that I still to this day can't fathom actually exist. Um, mouse pads, like we used to sell mouse pads, and, and one of the mouse pads had a big red drop on it, and it said just one drop. And you have this weird like mix of this utilitarian thing that you run a mouse over with the blood of Jesus. Um, there was the Golgotha playset, which was this plastic playset with three crosses on the top and the rollaway spring-activated stone. Like, there, there are Bibles in every single color that you can imagine for every single age group that you can imagine. Bible studies for every issue and everything that exists in every amount of time that you want to spend. There are blogs and vlogs and there are Christian celebrities. Seriously? They get paid thousands of dollars to talk about the gospel. But what I want to ask you to do, don't grow cynical. Pray that you are able to discern Jesus from the broken, fallen stuff that man has created in Christian culture. Don't grow cynical. But instead, Paul says it's doable. We can know his will. We have to learn his word, participate in the means of grace, worship, spend time with God in prayer. But know this. If you grow in the knowledge of his will, aided by the Holy Spirit, you will see the world more clearly. You'll discern truth more wisely, and you'll be able to serve more fully. And the beautiful thing is that ultimately it's God, the one, who gives you wisdom. He's the one who's going to pour it out. He's the one that's going to reveal. But you do have to seek it. And then Paul goes on to say, you seek to know God's will so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. 
You grow in his knowledge and will so that you can live a life worthy of him and the rest that he has offered, so that you can live a life consistent with the invitation that we have accepted. And I know that sounds nearly impossible, right? To live a life worthy of the Lord, to please him in every way. Now hear this. If you learn his will, if you learn from the Spirit, you will live a life that bears fruit because you are engrafted into the, true, into the true vine and you're given the easy yoke. You're given a life that's capable of bringing the Father joy with your fruits. And then here is a wonderful and profound truth about living like this. You learn so that you can live and when you live, you learn more about him. It's not hidden. You grow in knowledge so that you might live a fruit-bearing life and when you live a fruit-bearing life, you do so so that you grow in knowledge. And I know, I know this has happened in so many of our lives, right? We learn about God's heart for the poor, or we learn about God's heart for missions. And we feel called to go and serve in those particular places, or in whatever place it is that God calls you. And then you go, and you serve, and you live, and in doing so, you learn more about God's will and heart than you ever thought you would. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know. And the more you grow, the more sinful you realize you are, and the more gracious you realize God is. And Paul knows that in this whole process, that we're going to need strength from God to give us endurance and patience. So he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, so that you might have great endurance and patience. Because we have to be able to endure a long race. The long race is hard. It's hard because we get stung with loneliness and anxiety. We get stung with sickness and disease. We get stung with the results of a fallen world that made Jesus himself weep. And we need patience. We need patience with ourselves. Because even when we seek, even when we try to live worthy, our sanctification is slow. We need patience with others because their sanctification is slow too. And with God, We need patience because we don't always understand his will, even when we seek it, and it takes time. And it's God's plan and desire to give it to you of his own strength. And there's a beautiful pattern that begins to emerge. Everything that God calls us to, he provides for us to do. He never asks us to do something that he won't equip us to do. So, picture's fairly simple. Grow in knowledge so that you can live worthy, so that you can grow deeper in knowledge. Be strengthened so that you might have endurance and patience so that you will be joyful, grateful people. And giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. These together, the growing understanding of God's will, living life consistent with the rest you've entered, knowing the strength to endure the hardships of the world, it brings joy. It brings actually living life. Not simply existing, but having joy and gratitude, gratefulness to the Father in all things. Because he's given us the inheritance of little children, and he's made us citizens of his kingdom. And then Paul kind of wraps it by putting it another way. For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mentioned this on Monday. The idea of total freedom that we are truly free is an illusion. We are always yoked to something. 
And when we are yoked to self and sin and death, it's the cruelest yoke that we could wear. But Jesus, by the will of him, the very son, we've been forgiven our sins, and we have redemption in the blood of the gentle, humble lamb who is the king. He's the one who healed the sick, who healed the blind, the mute, the demon-possessed, who ate with the lowest, touched lepers, and he rescued us. He rescued us from darkness to light. He gave us his yoke, which is easy. It's light. It's living in exchange for a yoke of death. He's the king who not only invites, who makes us able to come by forgiving our sins and redeeming us for himself. I asked before, what are you waiting for? What's keeping you from exchanging your yoke from his, right? And here, just a reminder and a call from the heart that Paul prays this for the Colossian believers, and we need to pray this for one another, that we will grow in the knowledge of God's will so that we'll understand his plans and his desires. When we understand that, might be able to live worthy of the calling we received. When we live like that, we live fruitful. We please God, and he makes us able to do it. But he doesn't just simply call us to do it. He gives us strength and endurance because we have to have those things because he doesn't pretend that it's easy. But he does pretend to walk with us. So I want to challenge you, don't be hearers and not doers. Don't look into the mirror of this scripture and leave and forget what you look like. And remember what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 3, a passage that you use for evangelism so often. But he's talking to Christians. He's talking to his children. And here's what he says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus Christ, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the one who invites us into his rest. Let's pray. Our gracious God and Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would both convict us of our sin and call us into deep communion with you. I pray, Lord, that we would not rest or find rest until we find it in you. I ask you, Father, that you would draw us into your presence, that you would give us desire to know your will, to live for you, that we would see the strength and the endurance that you provide. And Father, I pray that we would be your people, doing your will and glorifying you. Be with us now and encourage us by your spirit. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.